You are loved. You are loved. You are heard. You are seen. You are valid. Welcome to the Babble Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Babel Podcast. As always, I'm so, so happy that you're here, and I just am so grateful that you pushed play today. Today's just me, um, kind of just bearing my soul. <laughs> Um, solo episodes are weird to me now because I've had so many incredible interviews so far and I just, gosh, everyone's stories are so impactful and not saying that mine is not, but I love hearing other people's stories so much, (sighs) but today's episode is just me, like I said, and I have a bit of information or a bit of storytelling from my book that I was writing um, that I want to talk about today because it was a very, 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 very influential thing. Um, It's the first chapter I wrote in my book because it was like the, (laughs) like I said, it just, it had such a profound impact on my understanding of affection, my understanding of love and relationships and what was appropriate and what wasn't in terms of touch. And my love language is physical touch, you guys. Like I I'm such I love touch. <laughs> just like if you want to show me or let me know that you care about me, just like reach over and hold my hand or like touch my shoulder or give me a hug or like, oh, it just makes my day completely. So fun fact about me, but yeah, there was a, a point when, when I was going to church that obviously physical touch is kind of frowned upon in a youth group setting, or at least it was in my home church youth group setting, you know, physical affection, public displays of affection, PDA, not, (laughs) those things are not exactly kosher. Um, And I really, really struggled with that being in the church. It it really made me feel like I had to dampen or like tone down how I showed up for my friends and for the people I cared about not just in church, but outside of church, because it confused me. And I want to just 
today's episode is going to be not so much me riffing, but just me reading you this chapter that I wrote. Um, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> you guys, this is... If, if anyone tells you or if you think that doing something like this is easy, it is not easy, you guys. I... I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I really wouldn't. I want to share this stuff with you, but it's nerve wracking to bare your soul to people <laughs> in general. And like, I know that a ton of people that love me and support me and hold me high would, you know, are listening to this and would never, ever put me down or would never, ever say that I'm invalid. Like I know that in my heart and my soul, but it's just, it's, it's vulnerable. That's what it is. And it's expansion. It's, it's breaking down the walls and letting, you know, letting my, <laughs> letting my freak flag fly if you want, <laughs> if you want to call it that. But <sighs> thank you for being here with me. This is a really sacred space. And like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to read you the first chapter of the book that I was going to write, but have decided to turn into a podcast. <laughs> so here we go. Walk with me for a moment. You might know what I'm talking about when I say this, and you might not. If you aren't in the demographic that experienced this mindfuckery that I'm about to describe, I hope that I can effectively describe it to you so that you can understand. So walk with me here. I'm a 13-year-old kid, a theater kid, considered weird, a bit of an outcast for the majority of public school life. I'm trying to juggle being accepted by the cool kids, quote unquote, developing feelings for boys, and all of a sudden having boobs and a little bit of an ass. What a great time. I don't know about you, but I had raging emotions during this time. And at that point, I wouldn't have pinpointed it as inherently sexual, but that is absolutely what it was. I was going through puberty. Like I was a teenage girl. I, I just wanted to make out with my boyfriend all the damn time. <laughs> I also over-romanticized everything. Thanks to Disney and other late 90s or early 2000s rom-coms, I was the type of girl that would ride her bike 20 miles across the city on major roads, beneath interstates, and without her parents' knowledge or permission, just to spend two hours with a boy that I was currently dating, quote-unquote. And, like, the reason I rode my bike 20 miles across the city to go see this guy is because I was too young to drive, so I, I was like 14 and like, that's not an exaggeration. You guys, I'm, I'm off script now. Like that's not an exaggeration. I did that. Like I actually truly did that. And it was complete. It was so dangerous. Like it's horrible. I got in so much trouble because I stayed at this guy's place for too long. So I was losing the light and it took me like, I don't know how many, like maybe two and some change hours to bike there. 
And I, I knew that I was going to have to, if I rode my bike back, I was going to ride my bike in the dark. And like, thank God that I understood that that was too dangerous and that I should just bite the bullet and call my dad to come get me because I would have been screwed. Oh my God. Who knows what would have happened, y'all? Who knows? But anyway, I digress. Baby Paige, who did that, who rode her bike 20 miles across the city to go hang out with this kid that she was dating, over-romanticized everything and thought that was the most, like, romantic and beautiful thing ever. Like, my – it just – yeah. I thought I was the shit for doing that. I thought I was the best girlfriend in the world because I was devoted to seeing him and I was going to see him, you know? But then the guy broke up with me a week later. So <laughs> all that for nothing. Am I right, ladies? But all, all of this to say, I, I needed some guidance in my life, you know, uh, and being that young, angsty teenager that I was, there was no way in hell that I was going to accept that guidance from my parents. And they tried. God bless them. So because I wasn't having it from them, I ended up getting into the church and the youth group accepted my weirdness and made me feel like I was actually normal. It gave me a place to go when I felt alone. It gave me a group of friends that were separate from the kids at school that I had been trying so desperately to impress for so long. So it was like a, the youth group was a fresh start. And outside of the beautiful sentiment, that was all of that. I'm a prideful human at my core. <laughs> And in this youth group, I finally felt like the prettiest person in the room. Like, I'll say that again. In the youth group at my church, I finally felt like the prettiest person in the room. And I know that's horrible and insensitive to say. And as an adult, I know that this is incorrect. There were so many beautiful people. Like, so many beautiful kiddos. All of us are gorgeous. But in my 13-year-old brain, it was true. Like, I felt like the prettiest person. In the, in the youth group, I was pretty, and I was talented, and I was popular. And looking back, I honestly could not tell you why. Like, I don't, that's not true, actually. Like, I, I can tell you exactly why. I'm an actress. I knew how to speak. I figured out how to act and how to interact with these people in order to make them think that I was all that in a bag of chips. Like, all underneath this guise of being that good little Christian girl in the youth group because that's another way that you get popular you know is by being that girl and to be clear i never admitted this to myself either it was an act that i put on for myself as well i, I believed that i was there to continually improve my unholy ways I, I attempted to stifle my pride and my vanity and my impatience for the sake of the act and never truly looked within to understand the reasoning behind why those imperfections existed in the first place. Now, this could absolutely be due to the fact that I was a young adolescent who had no comprehension of complex psychological concepts, nor the humility to truly deconstruct my own psyche. But that being said, I do attribute this inability to think critically about things to the indoctrinations of the church. And I'll tell you why. Because as a young person, 
I was extremely malleable, as all people who are young <laughs> tend to be. We're, we absorb things that are fed to us as, as young people. It's just, it's true. You can look it up in any psychological study. It's true. And what I heard in the church in terms of teachings made sense to me. And even when it didn't make sense to me, I still allowed the teachings to permeate my brain because I didn't have anything else really to challenge those things that I didn't understand. It just was like, all right, that's that you say that's the truth. Okie dokie. I don't have, you know, I don't have anything to combat that. So sure, we'll go with that. So let's get down to the, the nitty gritty of things here. The church, the church's teachings affected my psyche as a cisgendered straight female in multiple ways. And I like, I'm telling like, cisgendered straight female white like <laughs> i'm not saying that again my story is valid i know but i'm not saying that i have it worse than anybody else out there just disclaimer like i know that i'm super privileged and there are layers upon layers upon layers of this issue that i have never or will ever experience because um i'm not a person of color I am, I mean, I'm, fun fact, I'm bisexual friends, but it's like, I'm not a, I, I don't, honestly, I don't have that weight weighing on me all the time because I am in a heterosexual relationship. Like, it's not, I fully acknowledge that I don't have all the issues, <laughs> okay, um, but Putting that aside, the church's teaching did affect me, as it affects everybody. And the area that remains affected to this day, despite my attempts to distance myself from the church and the therapy I've attended and continue to um, to go through, is my perception of intimacy, my sexuality and my body. So let's start with where intimacy begins for all people, for most people, I should say, let's not overgeneralize, is touch. What I talked to, or what I spoke to earlier. You know, we're placed onto our mother's chests at birth. We, we hold our father's hands when we learn to walk. We kiss our crush's cheeks in kindergarten, and then we run away. Like, we, we hug people every day. But Obviously, when puberty begins, touch starts meaning something completely different. And for me, physical touch was pivotal to my understanding of intimacy and affection. I didn't know this back then. I didn't know this when I was a teenager. But my phys but physical touch is my number one love language. And I've attempted to suppress that fact for years for various reasons. But after lots of reflection and looking back into my journals from the early 2000s, yikes, I've been able to conclude that the squashing of physical touch in my relationships began, like I, I can pinpoint the exact moment, the exact catalyst of why I felt the need to squash my need for physical touch or my understanding of its importance to me. It began 
at a very specific day and message in my youth group church room in 2009. Okay, 2009. I was a freshman in high school at this point. And we started the sermon that day by watching a video, a common tactic to grab our attention and get us to focus. This video was titled, Pada, Pada-doesn't, Just Say No. Like, the, the point of it was that, like, PDA, the acronym, if it was a word, it would be pronounced Pada. So they were trying to make it, like, oh, Pada, Pada-doesn't. Ha, 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 like, PDA doesn't. Yeah, don't do it. Pada, Pada-doesn't, Just Say No. And you can find this on YouTube. Like, you can... I I looked it up when I was looking at my journals a few months ago, like while I was writing this chapter. It's still there. <laughs> it's, it's cringy. It's obviously a low-budget video. It's shot in front of a black background with two guys in t-shirts standing there with their arms crossed. And in the in my chapter here, I transcribed the video for you, but I don't think that would work very well with me doing it here on a podcast. We're not, you know, it's not a we're not turning this into a one-man show here, but um, you know, actually, I could. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna read it through. I'm not. Gonna, it, there, there's two guys going back and forth, but I'll read it to you. Um, the, here's how it goes. You know, the world has been telling you a lie, a half truth, which isn't a whole truth, which isn't a truth at all. It's a thing called pada. And we're here to tell you, there's no safe pada. That's right. The only safe pada is no pada at all. Pada, pada, pada. What is pada? It's tonsil hockey. It's kissing. It's lip locking. It's smooching. It's holding hands. It's giving that special someone a rub on the shoulder. And then, you know, they shuddered because the other guy like touched his shoulder. It's putting your arm around someone that's special. It's sitting on each other's lap. It's running your fingers through your boyfriend's hair. But the bottom line of pada, pada, pa doesn't. Just say no. Heck, no. That that that's that's literally the script. <laughs> of this video and these guys were trying to do it like they did it in more kind of a light-hearted way try to make it comedic so that kids would laugh and be like oh yeah ha, ha, but oh, jesus christ it's so cringy um now showing this pada doesn't video to a bunch of middle schoolers oh actually we were well we might have been eighth grade going into ninth grade but regardless like young adults Seems like a funny and direct way to tell them to control their hands while they're in a public place. But I don't think that the adult leaders in our church that chose this video considered the possible long-term repercussions. Because the mindset around touch that this presented to us caused me to be a very conflicted kid when it came to expressing my emotions. Because in my brain, if I hugged you, that just meant I cared about you and that, like, I'm here for you and, and you know, we're connected. If I was dating you, 
and I held your hand while we were sitting in church, it wasn't because I was trying to defy God or look like a whore. I was just trying to connect with my person and be present with them. You know, this seems obvious to the adult brain, but my little 13-year-old brain immediately internalized that if I hold hands with anybody in church or in the presence of church goers, that I would be per- that I'd come across as promiscuous. Right? Like, here's an example. I dated a kid in 2010, and I'll, I'll call him John. Okay. Um, so John and I were 16 at the time, and we could both finally drive ourselves places and feel like we basically ruled the world as every 16-year-old does. We went to the same high school. We were both in theater, and we attended the same church. Now, thing is, I was a prominent church leader at this point. Like, I kind of worked my way up the ranks and was a big leader in our youth group. And the guy I was dating was casually the head pastor's grandson. And we were, like, we were like a big church and like this pastor is known like all over the place. Like he's got a radio show and books and all the jazz. So we were kind of like the power couple, <laughs> I guess, of our youth group because everyone was like, oh, wow, at this point in time. And one of John's love languages was also physical touch, just like mine. So when we were at church together, it was a very, like, strange environment for us. Well, I mean, it was very strange for me. I don't want to try and speak for him. But for me, I was like, what do I do? (laughs) So we'd be hanging out in our youth group before the service started, just, like, standing around and talking to our friends. And normally when we were at school, our public school, he and I would be holding hands while we were just standing there. Or he'd like have his arm around me or I'd have like my hand, like my hand on his arm or like something, you know, we'd just be touching in some way, shape or form that was totally harmless and not sexual at all. Just to be like, I'm here with you, right? Like, and yet if we were in our youth room, our youth group room at church, a place that was supposed to be like a safe space, right? If John went to grab my hand, my eyes immediately went to find our youth pastors just to make sure that their eagle eyes weren't on us at that point because it always felt like they were watching. Like holding hands with my pastor's grandson boyfriend who had also grown up in this same church felt dirty. It felt like a private office visit waiting to happen. It felt like we weren't doing the Christian power couple thing right. Like we weren't leading by example. We weren't being perfect. However, nothing brought me more joy than when we would attend the main service together when we weren't, because how it worked was typically, like for me, I was on worship team in our youth group, right? So my church mornings, my Sunday mornings started off with me getting to church at like, I don't know, I think like 7.30 or 8 in the morning and then practicing with the band for about an hour. And then we'd have our first youth group service at nine. And we'd do worship. And then I would stay after worship and listen to the sermon in our youth group. And then we'd have a second service at like, I don't know, 1030 or 11, I think. And at the second service, I would do the worship set again. I would do the worship set again with the band, but this time, instead of staying to hear that sermon that I just heard, I would go over to the main congregation 
with all, all the adults and the big, like the big space, y'all, like the 3,000 seat space and go to that service and listen to the head pastor. So when I was dating this kid, John, we'll call him John, right? When I was dating this kid, John, you know, I would, after I finished up my band set on the second service, I would meet him to go to the main service together. And this service was just for the adults held in our main sanctuary, which was obviously much bigger. Like I said, 3000 seats, like huge. And it was so cool to be able to go into a space where not every single human in the room knew who we were. Like that was nice for us. It was still our church, but the pressure to be spiritual leaders among peers was taken away. You know, we were able to sit together, listening to the pastor speak his piece, and we could hold hands while doing it. Like it meant, so, it just, it seems so small. And I, I, I understand that. Like, but to, for anyone whose love language is physical touch, like you can understand where I'm coming from. But even if your love language isn't physical touch, like I hope you can try to empathize with me a little bit. Like it just means so much to not feel like the way you express your affection to somebody is wrong. And just like ruminate on that with me for a second. I felt emotionally safer in my church's 3,000 seat sanctuary filled with strangers than I did in our 1,000 square foot youth group room filled with people who were meant to be my mentors and my friends. Now, why is that? Why did I feel so uncomfortable holding my pastor grandson boyfriend's hand? while standing around our church youth room. Again, it, it started with the pada doesn't right? Like once our youth group heard that phrase, pada doesn't it became a staple. Anytime humans of the opposite sex would touch or hug or high five each other or anything touching, a witnessing party who felt like being a troll would shout out across the room, pada doesn't for the whole room to hear. And then obviously, whether your touch was platonic or not, it didn't matter. Whoever called the, or whoever heard the Padapa doesn't call, assumed that somebody was being frisky in church. And any time this happened to me, I felt shame. I had multiple talks with my youth pastors and mentors about the issue as well. Anytime John and I would get caught holding hands, I'd be pulled aside and be told, you know, as a leader, you need to set the example for your peers and set those boundaries within your relationship, my mentor would tell me. Like, it's up to you to do this. We can, I'll elaborate on the psychology of that phrase in another episode. It's up to you to do this. But the point being, at the core of it all, public displays of affection, in any capacity, put out the scent of impurity. If you have the capacity to touch another human while within the church walls, who knows what other intimate sexual acts you could be capable of. You're obviously not thinking with a holy mind or focusing on Jesus. Like that, that was the mindset. That was the, that was what surrounded me constantly. And because of the teachings of the church, I felt shameful to modestly express my affections for a person I was very clearly in a romantic relationship with through, through hugs or holding hands while standing outside the church. And then I felt like a hypocrite when I felt free to do those things in everyday life. 
Like a type of paranoia was born inside of me. It felt like somebody was always watching, just waiting for me to slip up so that they could report me to my church mentors and I could get another talking to. And that's what... The last sentence I have here in this chapter reads as like this. Because it was still a book. You, you know, remember that. That's what this book is about. How the church so wholeheartedly focused on this idea of purity as a means of controlling the actions of growing and maturing women. Because y'all, I, for years, for years and years and years, like this, this particular story was like 2009, 2010, it's 2021. And I'm still, still breaking this psychological cage. I, that's the only word I can think of. Because I'm, I'm still, I've been in a relationship with my partner for, it'll be six years next month. Well, six years in July. Yeah, it'll be six years in July. And I just, I'm still, still working on expressing my emotion. I'm still working on intimacy. I'm still working on allowing myself to be okay with touch. And it's, it's hard, y'all. It's super hard. And it's, it seems, you know, to some people who are on the outside looking in, it seems like it shouldn't be so difficult, I feel. You know, there are some days where I tell myself, it's not that hard. Like, you, your love language is physical touch. Like, just do it. But when you've been so conditioned to have this voice in the back of your head saying, no, people are going to look at you if you do that, or say, no, people are going to think you're promiscuous if you do that. And then it's about breaking down the, the stigma around that and be like, well, so what if people think I'm promiscuous? They don't know who I am. It's not up to them anyway. But it's the, when you are constantly as a young person who's being molded and shaped and you're discovering kind of what it means to be a, a woman in particular when it's pounded into your head that being seen as promiscuous being seen as frisky being seen as overly affectionate in public is bad like not just uh, like not just annoying or not just it makes people uncomfortable but like it makes you a bad person and people will look at you as a bad person. It's it's so much weight to carry. And it it just permeated me and walked with me for years. And it's still, like I said, it's still something I'm working on, but I've gotten a lot better. Therapy helps. <laughs> Therapy helps. Having a community of strong women who affirm me when you know, when I feel like I'm not capable of fixing this, it, it, it helps. But if anybody out there who's listening to this, also, if you're still listening to this, like, bless you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It seriously means so much to me that 
you are hanging out here with me and listening to my story. And I, I hope that it resonates and I hope that you can relate to it. And if you, I mean, I don't hope you can relate to it because that's obviously horrible. If you didn't go through this, I envy you. But if you did, I hope that you know that I'm here. Like, message me, please. Like, my Instagram is in the show notes. Message me immediately and I will happily talk to you about it. And if there's someone in your life who you feel like could could hear this story and, and know that they're not alone as well, like, I, I talk to other women that I know that grew up in a similar religion that I did. And so, like, the purity culture is immense. And we'll have so many other conversations with other people about this, y'all. I know we will because it is insane. It is insane that that something as simple as a stupid skit YouTube video of two guys going pa-duh-pa-doesn't the butterfly effect of something like that is immense, y'all. You don't, and people don't think about that when they're teaching young people. People don't think about that when they are trying to indoctrinate young people. Or maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> but how you express yourself is how you express yourself, and you should never, ever, ever feel lesser for doing so. As long as you're not hurting people, <laughs> you know, but I'm working on it. If you want to talk about this with me, come on this podcast and talk about it. Like, Lord, let me know. <laughs> uh, we'll get you on for sure. But again, I just, I'm so, I'm so nervous. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I am so excited that this is a space, a safe space to just talk about this shit, y'all. So thank you again for being here. I, I'm just kind of reveling in it at this point. <laughs> I don't really have anything else to say. I mean, I do. I could talk about this for hours, obviously, but that's why we have a podcast, right? We can just do another episode. <laughs> So if you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. Um, I release new episodes every Wednesday and Friday um, because, y'all, originally it was just going to be every Wednesday or like even every other Wednesday, but this this podcast has just grown so much faster than I ever anticipated. I did not realize that people would be so like open to coming on to it. I really didn't think so, but... I have like I have enough content to release two episodes a week for like three months, and I'm ugh, I'm so I can't <laughs> I'm so incredibly blown away, and I I'm excited because I really do feel like this space is gonna really 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 be a beautiful space for people to feel seen to feel heard to feel known and just to know that they have a seat at this table you do you have a seat at this table here and i'm so happy that you're sitting with me and in this conversation with me in this dialogue with me um and then with my guests as well whenever i have my guests on like we know that the conversations are not just between you know the two people behind the microphones they're they're with you too 
listening because you're you're here with us. You're involved in this too. You have experienced some semblance of what we're talking about too. It's not it's not just a single entity or a single instance. It's very universal. So thank you so much for listening again. I could tell you thank you a million times, just like I could keep on rolling and keep on rambling forever. But you're loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are heard. You are seen. You are valid. And I love you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, follow us on Instagram at the Babble Podcast to stay up to date on all of the things. Subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode or these amazing conversations that we get to have. And make sure also, if you could, it would mean so much to me if you could leave a review because it tells the podcast platforms to boost this podcast to other people so that more and more people can join our, our little community and um, and get their seat at the table. Thank you guys so much for being here. Well, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye! <laughs>